All right, let's go to the Gospel according to John, chapter 3. Gospel of John, chapter 3. I'm going to look at a section of Scripture here, and as I just asked the, uh, the children an interesting theological question, right? Does, did Adam ever have a, a belly button? You know, that's a, that's a fascinating little thing there. So, if I stirred up anything, then, um, you know, you can let me know later, okay? <clears throat> but... Since we're on the subject, I want to bring into play something that oftentimes we're a little nervous to talk about uh, at church, um, and sometimes it's, it's uh, most needed to talk about at the church, because the church is the one place where God has revealed Himself through the Bible, and that is the church's book, and should instruct us. And so... What I want to do is jump in here, and it, and it may sound a little bizarre, but we're not going to go to John 3.16 with, the, with this image that is there uh, of being born again. Uh, and, and the first part of John there, uh, 3, where it's about being born again, which has its own interesting nuances as a symbol, uh, certainly presupposing kind of a nuptial image, which is to say of marriage. And notice here, however, let's drop on down where we're introduced to John again, which we've been, if you've noticed lectionary readings recently, uh, there's a lot to do with John the Baptist, not the gospel writer here, that was John the Beloved, but John the Baptist. And here he reintroduces John the Baptist because he's already talked about him in chapter one. Uh, And John was trying to say, look, this is not the Christ, (laughs) Because John the Baptist's ministry was so powerful. It was so on fire. And yet, notice these words here as found in John 3 and then drop down to 25. Now, discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, He is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, that is John the Baptist, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. Boy, that's that's one to keep in the pocket right there. That's one to hide away in our heart, isn't it? a, A person cannot even receive one thing. That means everything in your life. It's his. Notice John answered, uh, you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not Messiah. Christ means Messiah, anointed one. But I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word and how powerful and how strong and how inerrant and infallible is your word. Not one term in the Bible is out of order, O God. We may not understand it all, and we don't. But Lord, today, help us by the power of your Holy Spirit understand what it is that you would have 
said to us today. We pray in your powerful name, Jesus. Amen. Let me ask you a question now, (laughs) along the lines of, of which I asked the children a moment ago. Does God care about sex? Well, I think we have to say yes, because he made two sexes. Oftentimes we jump immediately to the act, but we must not overlook the person. For God in the beginning created Adam and Eve. Male and female, he created them in his image. After his likeness. So, truly, sex, that is to say, male and female, is a design of God. It's a binary design. There's no no in-between. There's no third component. There's no man-made thing here. It is male and female. He created them in his image. The Bible knows nothing outside of those two sexes. That's important for us. Uh, It goes without saying for some of us, but it must be said today. For many are confused on the subject, and the Bible doesn't confuse us. It is the author of truth and not of confusion. Confusion comes from the enemy, the Satan. So we need to be clear on our definition of sex, and that is it has to do with the person. Each of us are sexed and an act, the act of copulation. Uh, intercourse, and so on. And this is good to God. This is not something dirty. This is not something shameful. This is something that he looks at after he's created all the animals in similar form, but not quite like us. And he says, this is good. This is very good. He likes his design. And it is his Design. Not ours. It's not to be voted upon. It's not to be guessed at. It's to be believed. It's to be lived. Our biological fulfillment, even, is found sex-wise in another. And, of course, this is seen in in the act itself. And it's a beautiful thing that God... Loves, because guess what? He designed it. He put his stamp on it. It is an image of a reality, sex is. And we have for far too long overlooked it or been too fearful to speak about it. It is holy. It is only to be enjoyed in marriage. The marriage of, as in the beginning, male and female. Well, even in the Godhead, so to speak, we get this trinity in unity. There is a unity within God that is not numerically one, but rather three persons. When the scripture in the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, which Jesus would have quoted every day because every good Jew quotes Deuteronomy 6, and that is, hear, O Israel. That term, hear, is Shema. So when you say Shema, which is what that section is called, you're actually saying a Hebrew word. Uh, so just say Shema. Shema. All right, now you know Hebrew. At least one, <laughs> one little small bit of it, right? 
If you didn't learn anything else, then you learned that. Shema means hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall worship the Lord your God, right? And so on and so forth. And then teach it to your children. And there's a whole section there. And they would have said it every day. They would have quoted it every day. And the beautiful thing is this. That term one is not numerical one. Instead, it, it's a different term. There is a term for that. But this is a different one that means a oneness. And truly, one cannot have a oneness without multiplicity. A singularity cannot be a oneness. But when a team gets together, like maybe your favorite team, and they say, let's go out here and win today, let us be one, right? The army used to have a a slogan that was an army of one. That doesn't mean there's one person in the army. At least I hope not. (laughs) If that's what they were wanting, I don't think I would have voted for that one. No, it means a oneness. And what does the scripture say about the two? They shall become one flesh. The two shall become one. What does that point to? God himself. Who Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one God. There are not multiple gods. There are not three gods. There is one God, Trinity in unity. Three persons, one God, one God in three persons. Three distinct persons. Notice, even our discussions about equality and sameness, which, again, have flared up in our own culture because of misunderstanding and confusion, can only be understood by looking at the very nature of God Himself, who is three distinct persons and yet one. Notice, not the same and yet equal. Equally God. Now, next week, you're going to see in the Nicene Creed, it's going to be very clear about that threeness and that oneness. Not that our own creed that we often always say, which is the Apostles' Creed, isn't, but it gets even clearer because we need that kind of clarity. Jesus says the Father and I are one. And yet, he makes a a distinguishment, doesn't he? In the garden when he says, not my will, but thine. Two wills. And the church argued about that whole two-will thing because there's also two natures in Christ. (laughs) There's the human nature and the divine nature, and they too are one. For those nerds out there, it's called the hypostatic union. How do you like that? (laughs) Hypostasis means persons. Usia in Greek means being. Three persons, one being. There's only one being known as God, and he exists as three persons. And yet the three persons are not the same. The Father does not take on flesh in the incarnation. The Father is not sent at Pentecost. Instead, the Father is the sender. He is the source of all of life. The Son is begotten of the Father. The Spirit proceeds from the Father. This is all language in John. Every bit of this language is in John. The early fathers theologically leaned heavily upon this one gospel that we've opened up this morning. This, if you will, can that we've opened up. And it's a deep can. It's one that is meant to swallow us whole. It's meant to consume us and bring us to the end of human reason. 
Why? Because we are not saved by reason alone. It is not about understanding all the things of God that get you to heaven. You can understand the things of God better than the preacher, better than the theologian, better than any scholar that's ever lived, and yet if you do not know Christ, if you do not have the Holy Spirit living in you, think of this language we're even using now, then you are not a Christian, friend. It is not about what's up here. It's about who is in us. At least according to the one who came to save us. You say, how did you get off on that tangent, bro? Well, sis, here's how. John looks at Jesus upon being questioned. Hey, look at there. Jesus over there baptizing with his disciples. And John says, yes. Yes, the bridegroom. He's come. I was to introduce the bridegroom. I was yet his best man. But if you've ever been to a wedding, the best man does not take front and center. Do they not stand off to the side? Now, for preparation reasons, they're the ones who are supposed to make sure the dude shows up. You know what I mean? It's like that's your one, if you don't know what a best man does, that's the one thing he's got to do is make sure no matter what you did the night before or whatever, he shows up. That's your job. And guess what? He shows up. It's been a long night, roughly 400 years since anyone has heard from a prophet. And now John the Baptist, this flame of fire in his camel's hair, eating wild locusts, living in the desert, an ascetic life. Certainly a life of celibacy and not one of marriage. He is the one who will prepare and announce the bridegroom. We must not overlook this term here because it's quite important to John, it seems, in the text, isn't it? Notice his language here. Go back to the text. You've heard me, he says in 28. Uh, Sorry, 27. Uh, No, it is 28. You yourselves bear me witness that I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. Now, we know who the bride is. It's Israel. You say, how do you know that? Because, well, the New Testament hasn't been written yet. Paul has not penned that we're speaking about the bride as the church. And so the foundation for John's understanding, John the Baptist's understanding, even Jesus' understanding as a rabbi is this. You are my special people. You are my special inheritance. You are my bride. This is what he tells to Israel. And of course, we know that now the church is Israel. We are the elect of God. This is what Epiphany is all about, isn't it? The coming of Christ, the revealing of Christ, the appearing of Christ to whom? The Gentiles. All of a sudden now we're grafted in. All of a sudden now he puts the ring on our finger. We are betrothed to Christ. But this starts way back in the beginning. 
This starts with the image and foundation of marriage. What we call, and every time I I do a wedding, holy matrimony. Why is it holy? Because God himself has ordained it. God himself created it in the beginning and all the way to the end, to Revelation, we find it protected with laws. A lot of don't do these in the Old Testament because we're in our infancy. That's why. It's just like if you have any little kids around, you're going to say no more than yes. Dad, can I put the fork in the electrical outlet? No. Can I gnaw on the bottom of your shoe? No. Can I run out in the street? No. 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 Sometimes I feel like with our little ones, that's all I ever say is no. I even get tired of it. But why do I? Because I'm protecting something beautiful. That's why. Dad knows best. And our Father in Heaven, when He says no to something, He knows best. It doesn't matter if we don't understand it. I think that's worth repeating. It doesn't matter if we don't understand it. If He says no, it's no. It's not for us. You can have it out with him when you get up there. No, we are told to trust our Father. And trust we must. John says, The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. (laughs) You see... John was reading something in the Old Testament that told him the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One was our bridegroom. What if, what if marriage wasn't given to us to make us happy? What if it was given to us to make us holy? Now again, our theme for the year, holiness Unto the Lord. What if marriage isn't about personal happiness, but personal holiness? What if it's meant to be and given to us as a sanctifying tool? I think it is. I think it is. And I think that it glorifies God when we have a holy matrimony. Matter of fact, I know it does. Jesus himself attended a wedding. We, listen, we don't, you know, Jesus did a lot of stuff, right? Like he, he had to go to the bathroom. He had to stop and eat somewhere. I'm sure he had to fill up the camel, you know, and these sorts of things as he traveled. He had to buy shoes and all this stuff, just like you do. We don't have any of that in the text. There's not a bit of that in the... But we get one moment where he cuts loose. Where he's going to some fun event. And guess what it is? It is a wedding. Interestingly, the Gospel of John begins with a wedding. His first miracle is at a wedding. He amplifies marriage to its highest zenith as he attends the ceremony. Because that wedding that he attended was pointing to him. 
Now, now trust me. You look at our marriage, you look at your marriage probably, you may not feel like you're pointing to God. But you are, friend. You are. You may not think that you're a light to the nations. But if you are a Christian have the light of Christ in you, you are. You are, and you're called to be, and you are meant to be. And I believe this is why marriage is protected in the Bible and uplifted throughout the Bible, is because it points to God Himself. It points to the kind of relationship God wants with us. You see, because theologically speaking, symbolically speaking, we are all the female in this relationship. And we've been betrothed to the bridegroom. For Christ, as John recognized this very day, and we recognize this day by faith, He is the bridegroom and He has gone. You say, man, that can't be good. No, no, no. You're missing in Judaism. What we know about their marriage ceremonies is the the husband. Just like with, remember... um, Remember how when they were betrothed, they had to, he was going to formally let her go, and you're like, I thought they were just engaged. You can just break that off by throwing the ring back, you know. It wasn't like that in Judaism. When you were betrothed to someone, when you were engaged, that was practically the marriage without <laughs> the event. And it was the big event. It was the one thing that makes us one in union, and by, the byproduct of which is another. So it's the one area in all the world where we can help God create new things today. It's not by taking, it's not by taking, you know, pigskin, so to speak, which really that's not pigskin anymore, leather, and they make a football. No, you're just using God's materials. No, when two become one flesh, the natural result of which is another. Another. New life. Not something that has been in existence before. Blakely was not in existence before. She wasn't some spirit baby in the spiritual world. No. No, God gave her life through this interesting act that glorifies Him and is holy. That's, that's cra- I don't know about you, but that's crazy. Like, what kind of God is this that would find something like that enjoyable and design us in this way? To bring new people in the world is the greatest thing ever. That's the way he made it. It's meant to draw us together. It's meant to be the act of marriage. This is why other acts are fruitless. This is why other acts are not ordained by him and are prohibited. This, friend, is a symbol of the reality of God. He said, what, what, what is a symbol? Help me out here. Well, just like this ring, which from time to time I take off and play with as I'm thinking or, or doing whatever, I kind of snap it. And I've dropped it before, and, and I really don't need to do that because I could lose it, right? And in the pagan world, if you lost the symbol, you also lost the reality. That's what omens are, right? That's what divination is. It's reading the signs to point to a reality. No, not in Christianity. The symbol is not the thing itself. This is not my marriage. Now, I've had this thing since, uh, 
since she put it on me, you know. Uh, that is Jessica. <laughs> um, and it's stainless steel, so it's actually, you know, it's, it's actually held up pretty nicely. Um, and I, and I, so I've been with it for, what, 16 years? Um, and so almost, this year's, this year's working on 17, okay? Oh. Well, we've been together for 16 years, all right? Let's just, let's not get caught, let's not get lost in the details, all right? But if I lose this, if I lose this, that doesn't mean my marriage is lost. Now, if I put a Fruit Loop on, or if I was able to get a Lifesaver on that was a gummy, um, does that really, it probably doesn't symbolize as powerfully, if I, if I have some straight line, that doesn't, because the circle means unity, it means forever. There's no, where's the beginning of this? So the, my point is this. Why are we so caught up in the church? And why do we have to be particular about water and bread and fruit of the vine? It's because the symbol does matter. It does matter. It can communicate the wrong thing. If we have Coke and pizza, that communicates the wrong thing. And it is, trust me, this has been argued in the church, so it's not like, <laughs> no, we can argue. What am I saying? I'm saying this. When we are unholy in matrimony, it sends a wrong signal to the world. We are to be the living icons, the images, the symbols of Christ and what he wants to be with us as people. This is why divorce is something that breaks God's heart. And it should break our heart. And look, it happens. It's a part of our world. It's all, it was part of Jesus' world. You know, it's really beautiful is this. Even within divorce, and there's a Greek term here, pornea. You can imagine where we get some of our ter- terms for, right? Which, every time it says in the Bible, sexual immorality, that's the term. Pornea. That's the term. It's anything outside of the union of husband and wife in marriage. I mean, it's just really simple. That's really simple. Anything outside of that doesn't glorify God. So when we pick on this sin or we pick on that sin or those people, or the, listen, listen, it's anything outside of that one thing. That's the image that points directly to the heart of what God is doing with humanity. There is a marriage here, not just of Adam and Eve, you see, in the beginning. There's a marriage of humanity and deity. There's a coming together of God and humanity. And there was a divorce in chapter 3 of Genesis. There was a divorce by sin. We were divorced from God. We were separated from Him. And you know what's really neat in... In John, and this is, this, is, this is crazy. In John, you have this marital image flourishing throughout. This image that is attached with water and, many, and blood all the way throughout the book. It's, it's an, I don't have time to go into it all, but water and marriage here in, in the beginning. His first, his first miracle, right? There's water. There's marriage. You get water and then John the Baptist and the bridegroom. They're baptizing. Water. 
And guess what? The woman at the well. Now, she's a Samaritan. He shouldn't even be talking to her. It's a whole backstory to that. But this is the outcast. These are the ones that we don't speak of. And we certainly don't talk to. And the, and, and the disciples go grab a hamburger and they get back. And Jesus is talking to a woman, which is scandalous in itself. But that woman, friend, symbolized in the woman at the well is us. For she had been married five times. Married, divorced, married, divorced, married, divorced. Married, and now she's living with someone that isn't her husband. In actual adultery, right there with Jesus at the well. Now there's another little backstory here too. There's a bit of background that we often miss, that shouldn't be missed, and it wouldn't have been missed for a Jew. And that is, there's a lot of meetings at the well where boy meets girl. In the Old Testament. You remember some of these? Abraham's servant with Rebekah, right? Even Moses meets Zipporah at a well. And in a well, it was kind of like when you watch a movie, you know, and, and all of a sudden they're at a coffee house, and boy, girl, you know, it's like, oh, you know what's about to happen. You know, it's like, oh, come on. That's Jessica's show's 100%. I'm just like, so I'm like, I can basically predict, I need to start writing your shows because I can absolutely predict the ending. They're so simplistic, so, but that's all right. She likes that. She loves it. Sarah loved it. But, no, here, here, we get a woman at a well, and, and the Jew's thinking, and now Jesus, Jesus. And she's unfit for marriage. And yet, he says, give me some water. I can give you water, by the way, where you won't ever have to come here again. What's he saying? What's he saying to us? He's saying, look, you guys out here, we have all been married to many things, married to things in this world, and divorced and hurt and split apart and broken up. And he wants to sit with us and call us to be in him. To find our true love in him. For he is our bridegroom. John is picking up on this as it flourishes through the text. You get also water at the cross. Blood and water flowed. Water and Mary Magdalene as she weeps in the garden post-resurrection. And what happens there? I think there's a marital hint there, at least, and that is she grabs, she goes to hug him and says, no, 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 not yet. But be overjoyed with this idea. That is, your father, my father is now your father. What has happened? A coming together of family. That's what's happened. Your, my father is now your father. That is a powerful statement. I mean, this, this gospel is rich with nuptial imagery. Why? Because it points to God himself. And, and, get, and get this, because this is crazy. Your marriage, your marriage points to something. Your marriage points to something. And even if you're single, your celibacy points to right-ordered sexuality. Just as Paul was. Just as Jesus was. We don't downplay singleness or else we'd have to downplay Christ himself. God forbid. You see, God does care about sex. Both the person, that's you, and the act. 
And we could say a lot more. But here's the good news. He's gone. You say, how in the world is that good news? Well, friend, the husband, the one who was betrothed, the man, he would go away to prepare a place for his bride. They didn't have cell phones back then. They, they weren't texting each other, you know, hey, I can't wait for that big day. He just left. There's really no communication. And what he would do is, is you know, in, in, in a Jewish house, they had a lot of rooms. They would just add on a room. You'd actually live, you know, right there at the house. And for the first year, you'd live right there before you ever went out on your own. And the first year, you didn't have to work. I mean, it was a great, it was a great setup, really. You just focused on your marriage and all that goes. And, 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 it's, and, and you know, we, we can get further into how all that happened. But even the act itself, by the way, Everybody would gather around and wait. That's the way it happened. Because it was this momentous, holy thing. And the world is the one who has shamed us with it and done nasty things and put it all over the teeth and done all this junk in our phones and on our screens and to our kids. And I'm mad about it. Because my children are going to be affected by pornea of this world. Sexual immorality. But friend, there's something we can do about it because... Jesus is gone to prepare, guess what, a place for us. You mean, that's, that's really what he's talking about. I, I have many rooms in my father's house, and one of them has your name on it because I'm betrothed to you. Have me, Lord Jesus. Have me, Lord Jesus. Would you have me? And he says, yes, I would have you. And I'll also clean you up. I'll clean you up. I'll prepare you. Dr. Oswald, one of my... Old Testament professors at uh, Wesley Biblical Seminary, he always used this, this story that he came up with that I think is helpful. He said, he said a king was, you know, looking for a, for a bride for his, for his son. And they sent people all throughout the kingdom, and, uh, and the, the prince is riding around, you know, the son is riding around, and, and he sees this, you know, beat up, homey-looking lady just on the side of the road, all dirty, closed, you know, nothing fancy at all. All these princesses had come, and he said, no, 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 and he chooses her. And he goes, stop, stop the, stop the, stop the uh, train here. Stop the train. It's her. I'm like, mm, sir. <laughs> you know, it's her. Well, let's bring her back and get her cleaned up and everything. So they were in preparation for the wedding. And, of course, you know, being in the position that uh, his father was, uh, he had all resources for, you know, I don't know what you call all that stuff, um, all that skincare stuff. I don't really use it. But Jessica uses a lot of different things. People always trying to sell her stuff, you know. And, 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 and I'm sure they had all that. Whatever it is that's out there. I can't even think of what I'm trying to think of. Rodan, something in fields. Um, and, and, uh, and all kind of, you know, makeup and all this. They had all that. And so they come back in. And they're like, hey, are you ready for the, you know, wedding? And she still looks the same. Still in her dirty rags in her dirty clothes and she says to them you know he found me like this he can continue to love me like this what a shame what a shame when at our disposal he has all the gifts of the kingdom and we would be so prideful as to say well if he loves me then he can love me the way I am right now forever God forbid no 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 he wants to clean us up and he can he wants to make us in something beautiful. It's great that he's rescued us from the street, but let's not continue to live on the street. 
when the king's table is available to us. He's gone, and that's good news because we're betrothed to him. Let us not be like the ten virgins, where five of them were foolish, but instead like the other five who were wise. Let's keep our oil plenteous so that our lamp won't go out. It may be a long wait, friend, but he's worth it. He is worth it. It'll be worth it in the end. Maybe we, like Sarah, are barren. Guess what? He comes to bring life. He comes to bring life if we live in him, John 15. All that in him language is replete through 13 through 17. Heaven, friend, has come down. Sometimes our orientation is wrong in the sense that we think we're climbing to get to him. No, no, no. He's come down and heaven is bearing down on us. The time is late. He is on his way. He'll bust open the sky any moment. We don't know. Let us drink deeply from the well of life. Let us too have a meeting at the well. We're the woman. And he's calling us. And he wants us then to go into the town and tell everybody. You remember what she did? And they all came out praising God. Why? Because he has come for you. And he's come for the whole world. How will they know if we don't go? Have ye the Spirit this morning? Have you been filled with the Spirit? Are you overflowing to the world? If not, today is your day. Go to him. He is here. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.